My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. To start the month off, we're going to do some lister questions, so let's not waste any time and get right into them. Our first today, what are some general Venmo etiquette rules? I actually think that doing the Ten Commandments of Venmo, or at least some sort of segment on Venmo, was one of the first ever things I did for this podcast, but that was years ago. So now's probably a good time to rehash that. There's really nothing more aggravating than having issues with Venmo, or really more specifically, the people you're interacting with on Venmo. So I've written down some unwritten rules for you. The first is that requests must be sent within 24 hours of the original transaction. A lot of times you can go on a group vacation or you can go to dinner with somebody over the weekend and you know the the early time in the week is a little busy and you don't get that Venmo request until about Thursday and that's just a dangerous game to play. You don't want to make all of your friends so annoyed with you by th- on Thursday that they just never want to go out to eat with you again. So just send it that night. Send it right when you sign the check. Another rule, you must complete the request within 24 hours. You just shouldn't have to have someone press the reminder thing for you so that you make sure to pay your tab. At the end of the day, the person did something very nice by conveniently putting something on their card, and you should respect that by paying them in a timely manner. Another rule, if you receive a reminder to pay your tab with a friend, the next group dinner goes on your card. I don't care who you are. I don't care what happened. I don't care if you maxed out your Venmo for the week and couldn't send the money. The next time everyone goes out, you get, to one, you get to be the one that picks up all the pieces at the end of the dinner, and no one should feel that bad about it. Another one, if it's a large request for multiple things, itemize it in the group text with everybody. I know there's a lot of apps out there that will do the itemizing for you, but it's always nice to know exactly what you're paying for, especially if the Venmo request is for you know not just one meal and for a string of things, whether you're on vacation or whether you just had a big night out and somebody decided to put it all on their card because they were trying to just be smooth and helpful and getting everyone to have a good time and getting in and out of restaurants and bars quickly. And finally, we all know your Venmo is working. So please, please, please do not say that your Venmo's not working. We all see right through it. Our next question, what are your favorite resources for new recipes? I have to admit, I'm the sous chef in my household these days. I chop some vegetables, I clean up after my wife, and I curate the vibes. I pour glasses of wine, and I try to put on a relaxing playlist that probably contains some Van Morrison on it. However, I do enjoy looking for new recipes. As a New York Times subscriber, I can always get some good recipes on their website. I don't love paying for recipes in general. I just think it's kind of pointless, especially with all the resources today. But since I already pay for the New York Times, I try to make the most of that to just get kind of get some inspiration, I guess. Another resource that I use is my friend Micah's newsletter, Micah's Read of the Week. He always puts in some very, very good recipes towards the end of the newsletter. And I have to say, he is one of the better home chefs that I've ever experienced. His chimichurri is unmatched. And I've always very much enjoyed his recipe recommendations because they're always thoughtful, tasty, and pretty easy to make too. Another person who actually is on the New York Times website but has his own website is someone named Mark Bittman. I found him because I saw a recipe of his on the, on the New York Times and I decided, you know what, I'm going to Google him and see what else I can find about him. Sure enough, he has his own website with a ton of different recipes. It's not the deepest catalog of recipes, but it's kind of good for staples and just to mix things up a little bit. 
There's also Basically is what it's called on Bon Appetit's website that does some pretty straightforward recipes. But honestly, I mostly just Google recipes and watch Gordon Ramsay tutorials because I'm just still trying to get my legs under me when it comes to being a chef. And so, yeah, if I feel inspired by something or I get cravings for something, I always try to just try to Google it and figure it out. That being said, my wife, who does the heavy lifting when it comes to the cooking at this point, she uses three people. Brock Your Body, which I think is just an Instagram follow she has. Pinch of Yum, which is a very popular Instagram that has a mix of healthy and unhealthy recipes. But she really, really likes recipes from the Define Dish. These are mostly Whole30 recipes, but others are incredible too. And it's brought to life our favorite Whole30 recipe, Fish Florentine, which I cannot recommend more from Whole30 or er, from Define Dish. It is just so tasty. Our next question. What was the name of the article that had questions to talk through a new relationship? I think I must have talked about this a long time ago because I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking what this was. It was called The 36 Questions That Lead to Love, which you can find on the New York Times website. You might be able to find it other places, but that's where I really found it the first time. When I FaceTimed my wife in the early days of our relationship, we actually started doing these and I actually think they bonded us together in a way that casual conversation wouldn't have. It did feel like a little overwrought, but overall, it was actually really fun to go through these questions and see where it took our relationship. They put the questions in different sets, with each set getting more and more personal. Set one asks questions like, given your choice of anyone in the world, who would you have as the dinner guest? Do you have a secret hunch about how you will die? And take four minutes and tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. And then you can go to set two, where they have a little more serious questions. They ask things like, is there something that you've dreamed of doing for a long time and why haven't you done it? If you knew that in one year you would die suddenly, would you change anything about the way that you're living now and why? And then finally, what does, your friend, what does friendship mean to you? And then when you get to set three, it kind of really gets real. When did you last cry in front of another person or by yourself? Your house containing everything you own catches fire. After saving your loved ones and pets, you have time to safely make a final dash to save any one of them. What would it be and why? And then finally, tell your partner what you like about them. Be very honest this time saying things that you might not say to someone that you've just met. I will say that this is not first date fodder. I wouldn't recommend it to doing it with someone who's not you're not looking to be serious with or if they're not looking to be serious with you. But I have to admit, when we did this, it was a very good way of kind of bonding us together and really just doing a crash course in, in each other's lives. I won't attribute it to how, I mean, to us eventually getting married, but I will say that when it came to getting to know my now wife, it was a very fun kind of exercise that we did in order to learn a lot about each other. And at the end of the day, it worked for me. So there's that. When my son came into the world last year, it really brought a lot of feelings to light. I had no idea how fragile life was until I was in charge of somebody else's life. And I have to say on that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones that you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, when you apply for $3 million or less in coverage. Just answer a few questions about your health in the application, and you just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There's no hidden fees, you can cancel anytime, and you can get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM Best, and Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' best life insurance list in 2021. 
And finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash scaries today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash scaries, ladderlife.com slash scaries. What's the best airport outfit for traveling in the summer? In my life, I've gotten shamed as of late by some friends for dressing too relaxed on flights. Normally, I go with joggers, t-shirts, pullovers, or sweatshirts that I keep in my backpack. I've kind of been considered not ready to roll into a nice restaurant, and I put that in quotes because I was actually told that one time after a flight, which was not really a good feeling. But given delays, cancellations, and now me traveling with a child, I've kind of abandoned caring. My brother-in-law, Drew, recently drastically changed the way I go about dressing for the airport, though. I was playing golf with him one day, and it was very chilly in the morning, as it kind of is in springtime in Austin, Texas. But as we went later and later into the day, it definitely heated up to a temperature where you did not want to have pants or long sleeves on. So when he showed up to the course that day, he had on a pair of Lululemon joggers, and once it started getting hotter outside, he just peeled them off and revealed a pair of gym shorts that he was wearing at the course. It, obviously, it's a very relaxed municipal course, so we weren't too worried about the dress code there. But then I started thinking, this might be a great move for flying. So when we traveled to Mexico recently, I decided to put this into practice. I knew that when we would be in the airport, it'd be a little chilly, and even sometimes on the plane, it gets a little chilly. And so I wore some joggers over some gym shorts, and when we finally landed in Mexico, the first thing I did was kicked off my shoes, took off the joggers, and suddenly I had the perfect outfit on to get in the car and head to our hotel. This allows me to not wear shorts on the plane, which a lot of people you know, express as a total taboo, and it allows me to be comfortable in any temperature. It gives me a built-in change of clothes should something go wrong, but something I'll never not do is pack a change of clothes in my carry-on. You never know when some turbulence could cause a flight attendant to spill a Bloody Mary on you, so I always try to put at least a t-shirt and some new pants or shorts in my bag just to make sure that if something goes wrong, I have a complete change of clothes. Our next question. What's your itinerary looking like for Italy this summer? I'm looking for inspiration. I know I've been saying it all the time, but I think it's because I'm really excited for this trip, but we are going to Italy for a wedding in September, and we're treating the latter half of the trip as our honeymoon since we never got one due to the pandemic. We have an absolutely loaded itinerary that we made through my friend Katie of Lux and Nix, who was a former pod- a guest of the podcast, and she did such a good time making sure that we had the perfect itinerary for us. It's so loaded that we even considered scaling it back to save on some travel time in between stops, but we're too excited about everything to change at this point. We start off by flying directly from Austin to London. The way that that flight sets up is just absolutely perfect for us. So we bought flights on points, and so now I really have no points anymore. But when we arrive, we're going to go to an EPL match if they schedule one over that weekend. And then after that, we're going to sleep in London for the night and then fly to Florence. Uh, We're going to do a wine tour to Tuscany from there. And then we're staying in Tuscany for three nights for a wedding. And then the day after the wedding, we're taking a train and wine tour to Ravello on the Amalfi Coast. This is really where our honeymoon kind of kicks into gear. We're doing four nights in the Amalfi Coast in that we're just treating as a straight up vacation for us where I will be letting loose and eating and drinking everything possible and hopefully relaxing all day long. I cannot wait to financially recover from it even though it hasn't happened yet. But then after that, we're flying back to London for one night. We're staying at a hotel that we fell in love with when we went in January 2020 and then we're flying back to Austin the next day. It's going to be an absolutely loaded trip, but I could not be more excited for it, and I'm sure that I will come back just as tired as I was the entire time on the trip when we were traveling. 
Our next question, how do I make the most out of my local farmer's market? Weekend trips to the farmer's market are such an underrated move. It's something I don't do nearly as much anymore in Austin, but it's something that I always loved doing when I was living in Michigan, especially during the summertime. My hometown, Harbor Springs, has a farmer's market that takes over Main Street on Wednesdays and Sundays, I believe, maybe Saturdays, all summer. The Main Street just gets filled with vendors and farmers, and obviously finding fresh produce is the move at farmer's markets. Fresh arugula, in-season tomatoes, cucumber, kale, whatever it may be, no salad tastes as fresh than when you get stuff from the farmer's market. It's just such a gratifying feeling to support local farmers and local produce, but an underrated move at farmer's markets is shopping in the meat selection areas. They have grass-fed steaks, summer sausages, bratwurst stuffed with cheese and jalapenos, there's just something awesome about getting getting a uh, I don't know a pack of bratwurst that just tastes so much better than whatever you'd get from the store. It's I, I love it. It was something that we used to do every single weekend when I was living in Michigan during the summertime, and it was just perfect for us. But also, don't underestimate your fit. Bring your favorite canvas tote. Dress a little farmery, a little granola-y. Channel your inner hippie if that's your thing. Maybe some carpenter pants, but definitely some Birkenstocks. But above all. Make sure that your fresh produce is absolutely spilling out of the top of your tote bag. It really puts out a vibe. If you're anything like me, going to the grocery store to buy wine is a stressful experience. I know certain bottles that I like, but I always have a very big hesitation when it comes to branching out and checking out other bottles. It feels like you need a degree in grapes to find a great wine. You can shop by the label, I guess, or you can try to remember what tannins are, but shouldn't it be easier? That's why First Leaf does the hard work for you. They make it simple to discover new wines you'll love without the hit or miss. First Leaf samples over 10,000 wines a year from around the world and selects only the finest bottles. They take time to learn what you like and what you don't, and then they send world-class wines tailored to your taste. Just recently, I retook my survey that kind of spits out your results for the wines that they send you. They ask you a ton of different questions. They ask you, do you like this type of wine? You can either say yes, no, or I'm not really sure. I think I pressed I'm not really sure way too many times. But then you can kind of differentiate between whites, reds, rosés, whatever you want. And then once you've taken the survey, it gives you six bottles of wine that they're going to send to you. And when you see those six bottles, you can kind of approve them or you can flip some out and say, you know what, now maybe I'm not really into that Riesling. I want to get a little, you know, heavier red wine mixed in there. It's a very easy experience and it's so fun to discover new wines from a service that is just so tailored. And if you're not happy with the wine that you receive, First Leaf will credit you with another. It does not get simpler than that. Sign up today and you'll get your first six bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash scaries. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash scaries to get your first six bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash scaries. Any tips for coming down from a long, emotional, high-style weekend like a close friend's wedding? There's an infamous meme of me crying that's made its way around the washed media universe over the past few years. A lot of people don't know the backstory and why, backstory and why I'm crying, but moreover, the reason I don't care at all that it's a meme of me crying is because the situation itself wasn't that sad at all. It was just one of those emotional high weekends where I think a little alcohol got the best of me. My friend told me to call him more when I was saying goodbye to him at a bar late at night. 
It sounds stupid, but I was drunk when it happened, so my emotions were running high. I just kind of missed seeing my hometown friends. I missed being around them all the time, and I had looked forward to the weekend so much that I just didn't want it to end. And the tears that I was crying were honestly, they were, they were, they were happy tears, but they just looked pretty sad. Coming down from that weekend, I made a huge mistake, and, it was, and I was on a different flight than my wife. She left New York a few hours before I did, so I just sat in our hotel room just laboring over my hangover, both physical and emotional. The Uber ride to the airport was dark to say the least, and the entire flight just gave me anxiety because my emotions were all over the place. Once I finally got home, however, I had my support system back, so my best advice would just be don't go into those weekends alone. Scary's loves company, especially after an emotional high like a best friend's wedding. So whether it's your significant other or a friend group, just make sure you latch onto them so that you don't find yourself alone and just thinking and getting in your feels over the entire weekend. Trust me. Our next question. What do you wish you knew when you began starting to plan your wedding? Well, wedding planning stinks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I absolutely hated the entire process, even though we had people that were really, really great. But there's really just no grace period between getting engaged and getting thrown into wedding planning. The second you get engaged, people just start asking you questions. Where's it happening? What's the date? Everything. Every single person will have a take on what you should do and not what you want to do. Everything in, I mean, it's, it, it stinks. I, I don't really have any other way to say it. Everything's more expensive because it's a wedding. And at the end of the day, I just simply wish that I knew how much I'd hate doing it because I would have abandoned ship much earlier to elope or have a small ceremony like we ended up doing. Because we ended up doing that in the first place, it was after six months of painstaking planning that was all for naught. But I will say, just go into it with tunnel vision, knowing that you that this is for you and for nobody else, and just make sure that you are happy along the process, because otherwise, it just might not be worth it, and it might be easier to scale back and do something a little less wedding-centric. And our final question this week, how did your podcast gain traction when it first began? I'm kind of interested in the industry. Well, when I first proposed the idea of doing the podcast at my old company, it was met with a little confusion. I don't think they understood the fact that it wasn't just people bantering back and forth and it was going to be more of like an NPR style informative podcast. And so when I actually got it off the ground, we launched it on a feed that contained other podcasts to see how it performed, kind of like a labs of sort. After a month of episodes, we knew it was viable, so we launched it on its own feed. It Truthfully, it did really well when it was on the other feed, and so it was a no-brainer that it needed to branch off and be its own podcast. Once I launched it on its own feed, it really kind of took off. It's pretty easy to climb the charts if you have a following already when you launch your podcast. The Apple podcast charts are all about recency and all about recent activity. And so when I launched, it really went to, I think it was the number two podcast in comedy, maybe the number three podcast in comedy, which was cool. But again, they value recency. So it's not like you're doing the second most listens in the world in the comedy section. I'm no longer in the comedy section. I've moved over to leisure, which just feels much more my speed these days. But because it did so well upon launch, Apple Podcasts actually reached out to me, which is a pretty cool feeling. They wanted to feature it in their new and noteworthy section, and obviously I said, absolutely, please do. And that made it so much easier for me to find new listeners outside of my just already built-in audience. Outside of that, you know, I was very lucky to have that. So outside of that, here are some tips that you can actually do without having Apple Podcasts on your side. The first is just constant, constant, constant promotion. 
Early promotion is the most important thing you can do for your podcast because, again, that recency thing that feeds into the charts. While you won't retain all of the listeners that you get in the beginning, you will at least have people that you know stick around for a little bit. I was obviously very fortunate that Apple Podcasts reached out to me, and I still think this would have been a successful podcast otherwise, but it pretty much solidified that I'd be able to continue doing it without worrying about numbers or stats for the foreseeable future. And honestly, I could not be more thankful for the opportunity to do it. And these days, there's no looking back. So to everyone who's been listening and following along since I actually launched the podcast, let me give you a hearty thank you. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. And you can also follow along on Twitter at SundayScaries and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at WillDefreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. We'll see you next Sunday.